Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. This week has been such a blur as we just opened our online exhibition titled Catharsis. This exhibit features the work of 19 artists and was juried by the incredible artist and educator Chloe Alexander, who I spoke with in episode 11, so you can go back and listen if you missed that. She wrote a beautiful statement for the show. She wrote, 2020 was a tumultuous year. And while every new year brings about hope for change and progress, time remains relative. The world remains in the throes of a global pandemic, and many of us will continue to encounter unexpected challenges, setbacks, and general life-related happenstances as the new year progresses. However, how do we as artists perceive and respond to change? The answer manifests itself in a variety of ways, be it through exploration of self, the environment, a more empathetic perception of others, or process, all of which often arise during moments of catharsis. This body of selected work explores the idea of change through the lens of individuals who work in a variety of media to realize not only what is, but what was, what is yet to come, and what is possible. Go check it out at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. The exhibit also includes videos by several of the artists sharing their ideas, process, and advice for aspiring artists. We envision this as an online gallery that educators and parents can also share with your kids So we have also added a few lesson plans connected to the exhibit, and those were written by my partner in this project, Maria Coit. Go see the show and download the lesson plans at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com. It was so wonderful hearing about how much love goes into Kate Fraser Rigo's teaching and her care for her students. The focus on ways that the pandemic is creating opportunities is so helpful when it can feel really natural to focus on all the hardships and tragedies. Kate talked about taking this time to think about how we work best and what our voice is both for ourselves and as a focus for students. She also talked about slowing down and how the loosening of this tight rigor as many schools increase the focus on social and emotional learning is really beneficial and hopefully sticks around. I also loved hearing about her art practice and the way she moves between materials. The idea of a mind palace was so visual for me. She described her brain as a palace with so many rooms and hallways all connected, but not linearly. 
I'm excited to see what's next as she continues to create mythologies and worlds of her own. Kate Fraser Rigo is an artist and educator living in the South Coast in Massachusetts. She attended the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth College of Visual and Performing Arts, where she earned a BFA in sculpture. She went on to earn her MFA from Boston University's College of Fine Art. Kate has shown her work nationally and is currently in several private collections. She participated and performed in Art in Odd Places, Body, an international performance art festival in New York City in 2018, and she was included in the Cambridge Art Association's 2019 Emerging Artist Exhibition. Kate has been a visual arts instructor at Alma Del Mar Charter School, a public charter in New Bedford, Massachusetts, for the past nine years. Her pedagogy focuses on process, building strong studio habits within her scholars, and art history through a lens of inclusion and social justice. When she's not teaching middle school, she's holed up in her studio with a cup of coffee. Let's hear from Kate. Welcome. I am so excited to be talking with Kate Fraser Rigo. And I'd like to just start with some background. If you could kind of walk us through your story. How did you become a teacher? How did you become an artist? Where do they intertwine? Okay, well, I'm situated on the East Coast. I'm in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And I'm from New Bedford, born and bred. And I ended up... uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I had the really wonderful opportunity to go to UMass Dartmouth's College of Visual and Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. And I am a huge advocate for that program. I think that they have not only tremendous faculty, but just the program itself is so robust. And mm-hmm. I was just really lucky to be able to be there at that time. And I had some incredible mentors. And I think that when you have incredible mentors like that, and you have that experience of, you know, deeply connecting with a teacher as a student, mm-hmm. you kind of have to pay that forward. So after I, you know, left undergraduate, I went on to get my master's degree at Boston University and, you know, had a very different teaching experience there. Just the the community of BU is just very different from the community of UMass. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it taught me a little bit of like how I wanted to not be a teacher. Mm -hmm. So when leaving grad school, I really wanted to get into higher education and I started adjunct teaching and and while it was really it was really interesting I got a lot of insight into you know kind of like that adjunct dance mm-hmm. I realized it, yeah. it wasn't yeah <laughs> yeah it, it just it wasn't for me I wanted to build deeper connections with my students mm-hmm. and I found myself volunteering at this little charter school that had just opened in New Bedford called Alma Del Mar Charter School and what started as me volunteering in their after school art program led to me building a visual arts program there. And I've been there now. This will be my ninth year. Awesome. Yeah. It's it's an incredible public charter school. I feel really fortunate that I teach there. That's amazing. And such a cool story to start like volunteering in their program and then work up to running, you know, building the art program. Yeah. And, and it was so funny because the person that connected me was my old professor from UMass Dartmouth, Rick Creighton. And it's, so it's just like loops upon loops circling back on themselves and the connections that you end up making. It's, mm-hmm. it really is. It's really incredible. And over those nine years of teaching there, I mean, I've been able to really work my practice and 
and grow as an educator and as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I get so much feedback from my peers and my supervisors that it enables me to really focus on my growth and how to become better. Yeah. And do you feel like, like I know for me, a big challenge shifting from sort of aiming for teaching at the higher education level, the adjunct dance, as you put it. <laughs> Are you at the middle school level now? So currently right now I'm teaching grades three through eight. But at one point I was teaching kindergarten as well. So I was teaching K up through whatever founding grade we had at the time. Once we fully grew out to our school, because we're now K-8, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, you know, said, hey, I feel I feel more drawn towards middle school and the higher grades. Mm-hmm. So that's where I moved up. And I have a co-teacher now that teaches the lower grades. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that was my sort of where I was going with that was that like one of the challenges for me has been just kind of figuring out how to work with kids without having any of that pedagogy, like, you know, no education degree that so many of the teachers around me do have. Mm -hmm. So have you, how have you kind of figured that out? Has it been a lot of just kind of learning on the job and learning from the teachers around you? Or have you done PD and like other sort of courses or anything? So yes, and I, (laughs) you know, I, (laughs) I, I was very, very fortunate when coming into my school that the executive director and the head of school at the time took the chance on me because Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't have a master's of art education, but Mm -hmm. I felt very strongly that as a working artist, that I was able to impart my knowledge of the practice and process of making art and Mm -hmm. the principles and elements of design. I was like, I I can teach these things. I use them every day. Yeah. And they, you know, were very willing to let me basically create my own program, build my own standards build my own curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to grow it from there. And we're fortunate in that we have PD every week. So we're always working towards developing our practice. And I'm also able to every year go to some other kind of PD away from school that I feel is going to be helpful to me. So Mm -hmm. in the past, I've gone to, you know, Haystack's annual conference. And I also went to a printmakers conference in Portland, Oregon a couple years ago. I've been Mm -hmm. to our expeditionary learning conference in Baltimore. So I'm able to really connect with a lot of different educators across a lot of different fields, which I think brings a really unique perspective back to my classroom. And then speaking to like that transition between going from like higher education to more, you know, secondary and elementary education, Mm -hmm. I never really considered that I needed to, I don't want to say to like simplify the content for my, Mm -hmm. for my scholars. I always felt that, you know, there are so many avenues that you can go down to teach the elements and principles of design and the concepts that kind of open the doors for them that I thought I was always going to find a way to make it engaging. So I I never shied away from certain art movements or topics or Mm -hmm. artists. Yeah. And what is your sort of teaching style? Are you teaching very sort of choice-based? Or more project-based? Yeah. More project-based. I kind of do a little bit of both. I mean, Mm -hmm. now things are so different because... 
<laughs> because of COVID, everything that I would normally do is very much put on hold. But normally when our when our classroom or our art studio, as I often call it, is up and running, scholars are often jumping in between classes that they're having with their cohort, where mm-hmm. we're kind of like running through a very set curriculum. And they can opt into or choose these like choice co-curricular classes where they're choosing to go into, you know, further a co-curric that it aligns with their hobbies, their passions. Mm -hmm. So I get all of my little art friends come and I often end up seeing some kids five days a week. Wow. Um, Yeah, which is really, it's such a joy. And so, you know, some days, uh, some classes in our like five, six choice classes, you know, scholars have independent projects. So I could have potentially in a classroom, 15 different projects happening at a time Mm -hmm. where kids are giving each other feedback and they're, you know, getting their own materials. And I really love those days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The the studio feels really alive those days. And it's so wonderful to catch the little moments of scholars like leaning across the table to like give their friend feedback. (laughs) And I I miss that so much. (laughs) Yeah. But in like our older grades, in like our seventh and eighth grade classes, quite frankly, they're almost more like introductory, like foundation level college courses where they're based around Mm -hmm. like a medium or a theme. So we have drawing and print making in the fall and we have 3D building and techniques. We also in the spring, we have photography and fiber Mm -hmm. art. So they're focusing on a medium and we're running through different techniques and and art movements and they get a lot of choice in terms of like the content of the work. Yeah. So they are project based, but I try to give the scholars as much opportunity to like let their voice be in the work as possible. So for example, in the spring, we have our fiber arts class and we usually delve into different techniques. We kind of follow like the history of resist dyeing. So we start with shibori Mm. and they learn the different shibori techniques. And then it's entirely up to them which technique they use. And we have our, we call it our dye day. Everyone has a big laugh, ha ha ha, because I have a bunch of (laughs) very, very dark, quirky scholars. And then, you know, know, we have our like studio day of like dyeing the fabric. And then we end up having our group critique at the end of the projects. And I really do miss those quite a bit because just like the the conversations that we're able to get going and the feedback the scholars are able to give each other, it really is just so great to see them like jump in and like pick up a critique and run with it. And like they lead the critique. Uh. It is a really, really wonderful thing. And I've had the opportunity in the past to have like guests come in. And like some of my old professors come in and actually sit in on these critiques. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's been really fun, I think, both for my professors and for the kids. And then, of course, at the end of class, you know, they get five minutes, you know, grill my old professors. Like, what was Miss Fraser Rigo like as a student? And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh. they really enjoy that. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh. <laughs> Trying to get the dirt on you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And my professors are very kind. That sounds amazing, though. And have you been able to do any of the critiques or any of that sort of more like I feel like those are the more not totally collaborative, but just there's so much dialogue back and forth that it's tricky Oh, like in this virtual world. Have you been able to do any of that or kind of, I guess, what does it look like now for you? 
I was very, very lucky in that when, you know, school closure happened for us in March, mm-hmm. you know, of last school year, we yeah. kind of just like hit the ground running and teachers were picking up, you know, like whatever they had in their toolbox to get curriculum, to get content out to their students. Yeah. So I was honestly posting like art assignments through Instagram, through our classroom Instagram yeah. page. And where I would like list the materials they would need, we would go through the steps. And I had scholars sending in work to me. And the funny thing was, I was also at the same time connecting with alumni that had graduated that are now in like high school saying, Oh, I'm so glad I get to do some art with you. Like, while, uh... <laughs> while school's closed. And I was like, Buddy, that is awesome. I'm so glad you're enjoying the projects. <laughs> And so, you know, at that time, we were just kind of, you know, catch where catch can, but Mm -hmm. we were still in a better situation than I feel like a lot of other districts were. And since we hit the ground running, we were also able to plan simultaneously that, you know, looking towards this school year and what is that going to be like? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were able to kind of like rally as an organization and we pretty much have one-to-one technology for like every scholar. And yeah, that's great. There's a national wait list for Chromebooks. So we do have a Uh a little bit of a list, but we are, we are getting there. And, you know, the art department was really adamant. So, you know, myself, my co-teacher in the lower school, and then, you know, the art teacher at our other campus was very adamant that for the sake of equity and making sure that all of our scholars are starting the year, um, you know, on the same footing that scholars were set up with basically art materials. Mm-hmm. So we were ordering art material right. <laughs> way back in the summer, putting together kits for them. So, mm-hmm. so now that we've had some time to plan. The kids have materials in their hands and now we're working through Google Classroom and Zoom. Yeah. So we're trying to make it work. You know, we sign on and... It's, yeah. We, you know, we sign on and the kids and I are able to connect through this crazy void we call the internet and and still able to maintain and build those relationships. Really, at this point, it's about relationship building, relationship maintaining, and Mm -hmm. really leaning on art being the incredibly holistic gift that it is in education. Mm -hmm. It's there to round out the experience. I want art right now to be a bright spot in the kids' day where they're able yeah. to a different part of their brain de-stress and I, I think the beauty of it right now is that because they're remote they truly have the opportunity without any kind of outside influence to figure out what their own individual art practices you know yeah. how they they singularly work best right which I think is exciting I mean that's such a moment as an artist when you figure out like how you as an artist operate best mm-hmm. so I mean I will say that while while we're in these Zooms, we're often like, I'll throw some work on the doc cam. So I'll be creating work along with them while we have independent work time. I'll put on a nice, relaxing playlist. And I'll see kids laying on their stomachs on the floor, getting a lap board and sitting in bed. Some kids are standing up. And it's really nice to see them just feeling that level of comfort and ease in their environment where they're just able to create. And I'm really trying to push that with them right now. Like, this is a great opportunity for you. You know how you work best. 
lean into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's to some extent, I guess it depends on scheduling. I right now don't have actually any, I have a couple things that are happening in synchronous time. Mm -hmm. Everything is just video, which means that I also have that opportunity to kind of figure out my own schedule and what's working best. Yeah. And this is kind of an incredible time for that. I love that idea of focusing there. Like this is an opportunity. (laughs) What are the opportunities here? No, absolutely. I think this whole time has really forced, my gosh, everyone to reevaluate what the priorities are in our lives and like Mm -hmm. where where we see different parts of our life fitting in with our our own identity. And and just the idea of like what work is, what school is, what what quite frankly what life is right now right (laughs) and like my school day is so different from what it has ever been for the past Mm -hmm. eight school years but I am still finding time to you know prep and plan for my classes I'm still finding time to connect with my co-teachers and Mm -hmm. my supervisors and get feedback on my teaching I'm still able to connect with my students and in some Mm -hmm. ways I'm connecting with them more because there isn't that pressure from peers, that pressure from school that can happen sometimes when you're in person. I have Mm. really seen some of my scholars really just blossom in this time. Mm -hmm. And I'm really trying to consider, you know, where these positives are and like looking towards a time when we're not remote learning, right? how we can keep those positives happening for those scholars. Yeah. And that's another thing that I feel like has been on my mind a lot. And I'm curious about just how to find what are the positives that are coming out of this. And how do we maintain those things going forward? Yeah. 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 I mean, oh my goodness. I, and I don't know if that's a direct question for you. It's just, (laughs) how do we do this? No, I mean, no, I know. Certainly, like I dream of a day like where I, you know, when I think of my classroom in in the future somewhere in this new world, yeah, where we're in person again. Yeah. And I feel like I would just love for everything to just, when scholars enter my classroom, everything just slows down a little bit. The beat mm-hmm. of the day is so fast. Yeah. Or it used to be so fast that every minute yeah. was planned. <laughs> planned, marked and measured. And I think sometimes that can be detrimental to the creative process. Yeah, I think that absolutely, you know, we ask sometimes for benchmarks and assessments. And I think that sometimes we just need to say, you know what, this practice, what we're doing right now is inherently important, Mm -hmm. regardless of what the target is for the day that we are here and we're working with materials and we're experimenting and mm-hmm. pushing our voice into the world and building our confidence. And that in and of itself, that is an important and great thing. And that only helps bolster a scholar's education. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, how can building your creative problem solving skills not find itself filtering into other parts of your day? Mm. How can building your confidence in your ideas, in your voice, not filter into other parts of your day. Uh, Right, right. I'm over here like just nodding, nodding along. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, I would really love to have more of that space for scholars to have choice, 
Mm-hmm. to really own the space. I, I tell them all the time when we're in person, like this is our space. We share mm-hmm. it. We share it as a community. We have to take care of it as a community. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a huge part of our mission at Alma is that, you know, we are trying to help educate and, and grow service-minded leaders that go out into their community and lift up and take care of their community. And, you know, that starts at school. Mm, yeah. Which is why relationship building is so, is so big for me in in my practice and so big for us as a school. Yeah. And I feel like what you're talking about really ties into this idea that's become a big thing people are working towards right now, creating an anti-racist environment and decolonizing the curricula, which the terminology Mm. also has, you know, there's problems within that terminology, but it's things that, that have been happening for a really, really long time, but a lot of people now are kind of waking up to. I'm curious about your thoughts there and how you approach teaching from those lenses. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, my school has always been one that looks at education through a lens of social justice and like Mm -hmm. uh, equity and educational opportunity. So, you know, this Mm -hmm. time and everything that has been going on with these conversations around race and protests and just people continuing to speak up and just fight for basic civil rights. Yeah. All of this is mirrored and has been mirrored in the in the curriculum that we try to create at Alma. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of ABAR work, anti-bias, mm-hmm. anti-racist work. We have had, you know, a number of professional development sessions in the past and we have more that we've been, you know, planning for this year. We've already had a couple. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's, it's we're having a lot of conversations. Yeah. We're having a lot of really tough conversations about us as a community and as an organization and really looking at ourselves and thinking like, where do we have to do better? Mm-hmm. Because we all have to do better. Yeah. I mean, the system writ all needs to do better. So we all need to look in on yeah. ourselves. So I think that, yeah, it's important to look at our practice and, and look at our mm-hmm. curricula. And I have always wanted my scholars to feel seen when they Mm-hmm. walk into my classroom. I've always wanted them to feel like they have a place in the world and a place in the art world. So I've always tried to put artists in front of them that they could see themselves in, whether that artist yeah was BIPOC or queer or Latinx or differently abled. Mm-hmm. I've just really tried to put that in front of them. And this year I've doubled down. So we're really only so far we've looked at the work of Lucita Hurtado. We've looked at the quilts of G's Bend, which are lovely. We're looking at the work mm-hmm. of Nina Chanel coming up. And yeah, and we're just going to keep really opening up the art world even more. Yes and having those conversations. Absolutely. I love to hear like the specific artists because I like I'm always curious to look into more artists and I hadn't heard of Nina Chanel. So I have to look her up. Oh, well, I can give you a great big list because I have been. um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I made it kind of my job to acquire as many new artists this year as I could. And I was kind of shocked at my own ignorance of artists that I had missed. And it really mm-hmm. made me take a a really reflective look at kind of like my westernized Eurocentric art education, mm-hmm. that what I had been taught in school and how I needed to really shift how I was thinking about the work, how I was talking about the work. And I think that um, we're going to keep
keep moving the needle. <laughs> yeah. I we keep pushing. Yeah. Keep building out the curriculum. But I can so many. Let's see. I mean, in the past we've looked at the work of Carrie Mae Weems mm-hmm. in our photography class. Scholars have, you know, looked at like the silhouette work of Kara Walker. Mm-hmm. We talk about yeah. Shakaya Booker. Yes. I we do just, in, I have a I have a lesson coming up with Shakaya something by Shakaya Booker and I I love her. She is just I so amazing. I love her work. I love the physicality of her work. Yeah. And the scholars uh, and really, I can like uh, yeah, they have a field yeah. day with it. I have them build it with uh with cardboard mm-hmm. and just building out those textures and building out those forms that she creates is really, really fun to watch and to watch them kind of like figure out how to attack it. Yeah. Yeah. And then talking about the the materiality of it and that she's using these discarded tires, but the meaning behind all of that is also absolutely yeah. leads to so many interesting conversations. Well, it was really cool because every year we have have our so in years past we have had like a women's unit where we focus during women's month specifically on female identifying artists and that includes BIPOC artists that includes queer artists that includes differently abled female identifying artists and Mm -hmm. Shakaya Booker is one of them and then in the spring I have a big art field trip field work I should say excuse me we call it field work because Mm. we are working Um, but but we take the scholars to uh, Storm King in upstate New York and you know they're able to actually stand in front of a Shakaya Booker and Mm -hmm. see it and like touch the tires and I still I still have a picture of one of my scholars who has since graduated and just standing next to the Shakaya Booker like in awe and yeah yeah I I miss that. That's, that's where that's where I saw her work in person too. Mm. So love it. Storm King is so tremendous. I try to take the uh, scholars back whenever we're able. It's mm-hmm. such an experience. Yeah, such an amazing place with so much just incredible work. Oh. It really is. And I, I feel so thankful that my school will let me take them to all of these these really wonderful places. I've taken scholars to, uh, we've gone to the MoMA in New York. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, we've, my goodness, we've gone to the Worcester Art Museum. We've gone, obviously, to the MFA in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just it's just so wonderful to have those experiences with them and to just have them experience this work that we've been talking about and seeing and and now it's right in front of them. Yeah, and there is something it's it's so different to see it in person. I'm saying now as <laughs> it's so hard to get out and like I haven't been to a gallery or museum. I don't know when the last the last one was probably in February. Really. Uh, yeah. So I have to admit, I, mean, now I, I, I just went. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can. I mean, uh, but I mean, you know, everyone is everyone is at a very, very different comfort level right now, and mm-hmm. I think that certainly has to be respected. I I was very lucky in that I was surprised with timed entrance tickets to the MFA mm-hmm. for my birthday. So ah, uh, that's awesome. So we were able to go to you know the MFA, and I wore a mask, and I was able to stand in front of some artwork that quite frankly, I had been daydreaming about since oh. March 13th, since school closed, since school closed and we couldn't go anywhere. Oh. I had been dreaming about standing in front of that Alice Neal in the MFA and there yeah. she was again. And it was oh. lovely to see. 
Amazing. That's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. yeah. We need more of those. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. Just the experience of being there and standing in front of the work. I think the more that scholars and anyone's students can get in front of it is just, mm-hmm. it should be one of the tenets of everybody's practice is just getting kids in front of art as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Getting them to see it in real life. <laughs> yeah, IRL, as yeah. they say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, all these things I'm having to figure out as like <laughs> a sort of old person on the internet. <laughs> you know, they have been very very kind to their art teacher. You know, they they uh, explain a lot of the uh, a lot of the lingo to uh yeah. this old dinosaur. So, they help me out. <laughs> I know that's one of the great things about teaching too. Like it keeps you young in some ways. <laughs> oh my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of um one of my roles at school, which right now is, you know, put on pause with everything, is that I plan all of the middle school socials that we have, all the middle school dances. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> those are some of the just like some of the most fun experiences that you can have with the scholars. Mm-hmm. And I also have the the merit raffle which is you know we have like a like a merit and demerit system that almost similar to like you know house points <laughs> and scholars are able to like put their merits into the raffle and win prizes at the end of every quarter so that was also something that I used to do in person that while not directly related to art was definitely an enjoyable school experience <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that's part of like the whole relationship building. Yeah. The relationship building, like just like the culture building. It's so, it's so great to see, you know, and I always would tell the scholars like, Hey, all it takes is one raffle ticket. You don't know. You never know. (laughs) And to see the, to see the kid that, you know, (laughs) that like was like, okay, I have this many merits. I'm going to get this one raffle ticket. And then they win the prize. Uh. Oh my goodness. And it's so great because you hear all the scholars start cheering for them and like everyone's clapping and they get to get up and get their oh my goodness yeah Yeah. I miss in Uh. person (laughs) but but, you know right now this is probably the safest best bet yeah how are things in California Uh, we are also totally virtual for the foreseeable future Mm, yeah which is you know I feel like it's it's just so different like it's really really challenging in a lot of ways but Uh You know, trying to look at the bright sides of it that like we're not commuting. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. The coffee is always hot. Yes. Well, I don't know about that with a <laughs> a five year old. You ha- you mean True. you have the same thing? I'm like, <laughs> someday I'll get to that coffee before it cools down. Right? Yeah. Maybe I'm being too optimistic about the coffee. <laughs> but it is nice to kind of see. Like it's difficult with you know my daughter's doing like online kindergarten. Yeah. Which is you know tricky, but it's interesting to be able to basically be like in her classroom with her, like see what's going on and see what she's learning. You know, I can absolutely relate. My daughter, so my daughter is in second grade now. Yeah. And it is so funny just to watch them all interact with each other, (laughs) you know, in these Zoom meetings. And they're all so polite. They're all so Mm -hmm. polite. And they're all so sweet to one another. Um, I swear the other day, I heard a kid signing off tell their teacher, right? 
bye have a good day love you (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's really sweet that they're still able to build these relationships together and just to see them like really still continuing to want to do this thing called school I mean my daughter is still excited to get up and go to second grade every day yeah which is such a testament to just her teacher that she has right now right and just the culture that you know Alma has because I was able to I was very very lucky in that my daughter was also able to get in with the lottery because teachers children don't like automatically get in we also have to join the lottery just like everybody else right and and yeah we were very very lucky we were very very lucky that she got in I believe she was like number 29 out of 31 slots wow yeah there were a lot of people biting their nails that night at school during the lottery but I'm sure Uh, but it was really funny, you know, we had gone out and uh, on lottery night, we were like, you know what, we're not going to stay for the lottery. We're just whatever happens, happens. And when her number got called, suddenly all of our phones were like lighting up with all of our coworkers saying, oh my gosh, she got in, she got in. It's a special place, Alma. Yeah, it really is. That's amazing. You know, in Los Angeles, there's so many different little separate like municipalities within this bigger mm-hmm. city. And so there's all these like small school districts and interdistrict permits. And it's like this very complicated <laughs> school system. <laughs> so I, I was, I had been teaching in a district separate from where we live and had permitted her there. So we mm-hmm. you know, successfully did that permit before COVID changed my teaching situation completely. So I'm actually now not teaching directly with those schools, but she's still mm-hmm. going there. <laughs> well, so, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just that's wonderful. Such a crazy, not, you know, somewhat similar situation of like this, you know, hoping that she gets into the school and like, is it all going to yeah. work out? Yeah. And you know, it's a uh, lottery night is, it is a really emotion packed night. There's a lot of hope in that room mm-hmm. on lottery night and you can see it. And you know, there are some families that are, you know, incredibly excited. And there are some families, unfortunately, that are going to apply again next year. And yeah, but we've had families that have applied multiple years in a row, and they finally get in. And once they do, they say like, my goodness, I'm so happy that we made it into the lottery that we're here. Yeah, it's amazing to have to have that community, like to be working within that community, too. It is. It is. The teachers are all very, very close. I love that. Yeah. And we've been able to stay close, even with virtual learning right now, which has been kind of strange. The teachers organize like trivia night. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I have like a coffee time in the morning before everyone has to go off to their individual crew meetings with their classes. So we're able to get together for a cup of coffee, even if it's virtually for a few minutes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Keep that staff lounge. (laughs) Good morning. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta still have a lounge. (laughs) Even if it's a Zoom lounge. Exactly. (laughs) Or Google Meet or whatever it is. Oh my gosh, any and all Uh, of them. I have everything now these days. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like there are any sort of resources or tools, even, you know, books, anything that's been helpful that you would want to share with other teachers? Like, this is really... 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, so many. I am constantly leaning on resources from so many different books. I'm trying to think of the ones that I've been reading most recently, but the ones that, oh, I'm going to grab it right now because it's Ooh, right yeah. in front of me. There we go. Yay. Studio Thinking, The Real Benefits of Visual Arts Education by Lois Hetland. Oh. Yes. And I've also really been getting into uh, Studio Thinking from the Start, the K-8 mm-hmm. Art Educator's Handbook by Jillian Hogan. Yeah, that's the one that I have. These two are my go-tos. Yes. And digging in deep with those lately. Ah, I love that they're both like almost the same <laughs> title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can definitely see like where my head is at right now in my pedagogy. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> yeah, I recently have been starting to read about Black Mountain College. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with Black Mountain College? A little bit. I haven't read much about them. I've just kind of heard of them and like the amazing artists that have come out of there. Yeah, it was a really, really crazy place. I mean, I am by no means an expert, but what I've been reading so far like this, just the like, again, the community of the place and how it was able to just foster all of these mentorships and the work that was able to come out of it is, yeah, it's been very, very intriguing. And I'm trying to find ways that maybe I can like expand my practice further into those ideas. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like you might be in sort of a prime place to be able to do that with such a strong community already. Yes. So yeah, really interesting thinking about how to make that happen. Yeah, I like like I was saying earlier, I think that this time, like from moving forward, mm-hmm. I don't know if education will ever go back to being what it was, Mm -hmm. you know, pre-COVID. So I think that, you know, like looking forward to school years to come or the time that we're able to all be in person, I think that we can really look to ways that we can grow our classrooms and grow our idea of what learning can be yeah, and how we can open up these spaces, especially right now where we need to really think about equity and radical inclusivity in our classrooms and how we can have our students and our scholars feel not only heard, but held, you know, Mm. held by the educators that are there for them. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Not only heard, but held. Yeah. And this idea of I see you and I value all of you. I hope that that comes through in my practice with them, but it is so true. I mean, I get asked about my scholars often and how I feel like teaching middle school. And I think they're the most amazing people. Mm. And that's not hyperbole. I am constantly struck by their their humor and their wit and their sense of fairness and what is right. And I just think they're tremendous young people. And I feel really, really fortunate that they get to be a part of my day. I hope hope that they feel similarly. I hope that they enjoy me being a part of their day. And right now with everything going on, like when we sign into class, I always just say like, it is so good to see you. Yes. You are such a bright spot in my day. So I'm so glad that you've made it. And, you know, I think that maybe just letting them know a little bit, like you're an important part of my day. Mm-hmm. So I hope that I can be an important part of your day and we can, you know, for, for these 40 minutes, we can spend this time together and look at some art and talk about art and expand our ideas. Yeah. And connect. Exactly. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. 
So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram. It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can. And that is Pots Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. I would love to hear more about your artwork, too, because... (laughs) I've been looking at it and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I really am struck by a lot of it. Well, thank you. I <laughs> I often ask people about whether they share their work with students and if they kind of censor themselves <laughs> to some extent. And I can see that being an interesting question for you. <laughs> are, Certainly. Yeah. Are there parts of your work or your practice that you share with students? Yes, absolutely. I think that it's like, yes, and I mean, obviously, you know, in some of the more like adult themes in my work, that is work that I share with them. But I don't ever hide the fact that I'm a working artist. I don't ever Mm -hmm. hide the fact that I have shows. And they'll often ask me about it. And or they'll ask me about piece I'm working on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there have been times when it's appropriate that like, yeah, I'll I'll bring in a piece of work and I'll show them. And I've brought in like some of my work from grad school that I still have. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're very curious about it. And I, in the past, had a couple scholars, scholars who have like already graduated and come to openings. Yeah. And it's always a very surreal experience. I mean, I think uh, both for them and for me. Right. I kind of turn around. I'm like, oh, you're there. Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) You made it. (laughs) I think it's important that they know that their teacher has this identity. I think it's important Mm -hmm. that they know that their art teacher like walks the walk. (laughs) Yeah. I think that part of being a teacher that you get kind of asked very tacitly because it's your calling to, you know, kind of be a role model, like a moral pillar for your students or your scholars. Mm -hmm. You know, you have so many little eyes like looking at you to be that role model. And I feel so fortunate that I get to be that, you know, and they note every opinion, they note every... Every, everything, every move. (laughs) And I think that sometimes it's kind of nice, like once you take the teacher hat off Mm -hmm. to kind of like play in your work. So I think that sometimes like the playfulness or like the naughtiness in, in my, (laughs) in my own practice in my own work, you know, that's kind of where I get it out. Yeah, I like that idea too of playing in your work and kind of letting out some of that, (laughs) the naughtiness. (laughs) I would love to hear you maybe describe your work before we get too too much more into like talking about your work. If you could describe it for someone who maybe hasn't seen it, and I will link to it all. So you should go look at Kate's work, but... (laughs) 
Thanks. So like the series that I'm kind of working on right now, the body of work that I'm kind of working through right now is, you know, exploring these ideas about connection and like human interface in this like very digital age that we live in. You know, like we live in Mm -hmm. this age of screens and like ghosting and deep likes and Mm. all of this, all of this lingo. And, you know, now with virtual learning, like where we're connecting through screens. Yeah. And I started to wonder, like, what are some of the the true things that you can't swipe away? Like, Mm. what are some of the truths about human relationship and connection and love and relationships and aging and parenthood and I mean, all of these huge thematic ideas? And what happens when, you know, you boil these things down and you find them in this digital place? So I started thinking about like, you know, who lives in this world, who inhabits this world? What are the rules of this, like this void, this big black yeah. void? So yeah, I mean, the the void, I guess, series right now is all about that. So all of the work are kind of like these artifacts, these conduits uh. to this place where I'm kind of building out this mythology. Yeah. Uh. And documenting it as it feels called to be documented. So Mm-hmm. You know, I have some 3D work. I have some mixed media work. Yeah. And is the 3D, is that ceramics or is that like paper mache? So some of it is, it's a number of different materials. Some yeah. of it is. I know. I'm like, I'm curious about these materials with all of it. <laughs> you know, some of it is like paper clay. Mm-hmm. So it's like this air dry clay, you know, right now being at home, like I don't have access to a kiln. Right. Goodness, right. wouldn't I love it? But paper clay, a lot of, I was using Mm -hmm. polymer clay for a while, resin. Yes. (laughs) Just pretty much playing a lot of found object. I've been leaning Mm -hmm. on some really very childhood art materials like pom-poms and like perler beads. Yeah. Oh, cool. Like the craft materials. Yeah. Yeah, like those very playful craft materials of mm-hmm. of kind of like my childhood and and really playing with those and seeing like where I can take them and seeing if I can document this place. So yeah, the work has been really interesting to kind of see where it goes. And yeah, it it doesn't seem to be done yet. So yeah. And do you have notes or do you write at all out? Like, what is this place? And who are these characters? Or is it all kind of just in your head and then pieces of it come out in the work? So it's kind of documented in a couple different buckets. Uh-huh. You know, I do I do keep some like sketchbooks where like ideas kind of mm-hmm. get jotted down. Then I have like separate practices that are almost like stream of consciousness writing where some themes and ideas come to the surface. Mm. But then I also have like the two-dimensional work that kind of works through some of the ideas as well. So it's like, it's kind of like lumped into three different buckets where like the world kind of gets built out. Yeah. And do you feel like that process is like, does it kind of start in the sketchbook and then move 2D and then move to 3D? Or is it not so linear as that? It is not so linear as that. (laughs) Unfortunately, I wish. (laughs) Um, It's like step one, step two. (laughs) You know, I I very much operate in kind of like web theory. Uh, I often call it like my mind palace, 
mm-hmm. where, you know, my brain is just kind of like many, many different rooms and hallways that I veer down and they're yeah. all connected somehow with string. And, you know, somewhere on the other end, it, it tends to filter itself out and distill itself into something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there is, I guess, there's order to the madness, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you like looking at it, there's connection, like you can see the connection in this body of work. I'm glad it's coming through. And your is your 2D work, is it mostly, it looks like maybe watercolor or gouache? So it's it's kind of like a little bit of everything. I mean, it's definitely, I, I definitely will play with gouache in my work, a lot of mm-hmm. ink, watercolor. It's just like a lot of layering of different materials. I kind of have this like big bucket of my drawing materials that I'm always uh, reaching into. Nice. <laughs> it could be any number of things at one time. And that makes me think maybe this isn't the case, but it makes me think that have you worked that way even before teaching or has teaching? such a variety of media sort of made you work with, you know, all different materials and kind of play with all different materials? You know, I think that's actually, that's an excellent question. I think that in my younger days, like getting right out of school, I think I would have very adamantly identified myself as sculptor and I was just Mm. a sculptor. But then I got into teaching and and teaching, you know, like elementary and secondary education. And, and, you know, I was working in this 2D media so often Mm -hmm. just because it was so accessible at the time to my scholars that I just kind of got forced into getting more comfortable with it. Yeah. And as I got more comfortable with it and found my groove in teaching and like found my voice as an artist after grad school, I think that, yeah, I think I veered more away from that idea that I had to be this one thing. Ah. And I think on most days, I talk about being a maker. Yes. Uh. And I use that phrasing a lot with my scholars, that you are you can be a maker of things, that you don't have to be just one. Yeah, like not putting that label of, I'm only a sculptor or a painter or whatever it is. Yeah. But what about then the label of artist? Like, why make Maker over artist. I think that artist, especially in the contemporary art world that mm-hmm. we exist in now, you know, words matter. And I mm-hmm. think that there is some elitism to certain language. Mm. And I think that, you know, not traditionally trained artists are just as relevant and just as mm-hmm. legitimate and you know, an artist. And I think that there are so many different kinds of, I just think having the more expansive language opens it up Mm -hmm. to, well, what is, well, what is a maker? What is like, what is just an artist? So Mm. I think it's a personal choice. I think, I think I choose maker over artist more just because (laughs) I like, I like to expand the idea of what it can be. Yeah. I like that. I I kind of like that too. (laughs) I just was like, I'm curious about this. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I'm pushing for one way or the other. No, certainly. (laughs) And I love like kind of going back to you shifting from like really sort of strongly identifying as a sculptor to being more of like I'm a maker. I work with all different materials and I, you know, 2D, 3D, all of it. I feel like I relate to that as well. I was definitely not a sculptor (laughs) and over the years have gotten more comfortable with the idea of of making some things that are a little bit more 3D. Yeah. So I feel like teaching really does like it forces you to work in all media, even if you're, you know, 
not as comfortable with certain materials, like you've got to be able to teach it. No, absolutely. You know, I, t- I tell my scholars all the time, I'm like, listen, guys, I am no expert. I am learning along with you just as much as you guys are. Like, yeah. I'm a jack of all trades at best. We are learning uh-huh. this together. Totally. <laughs> and it is so true. <laughs> yeah. And that also made me think, was your master's program, was that focused in sculpture or was it more expansive? So I went to BU's School of Visual Arts in their in their graduate program. Yeah. So their graduate program is like, it's primarily a painter's program. Okay. But they have this very, very tiny like enclave of sculptors who kind of like hunker down and make work there. So yeah, I was a still a sculpture graduate student in my tiny sculpture department. I think that there were, oh my goodness, there were less than a dozen of us in the time that I was there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In there amongst all the painters. Oh, absolutely. We held our own. We were usually (laughs) the loudest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always find that interesting because I feel like so many programs kind of force you into the silos. And like when I went, I really looked for a program that didn't that was just like an MFA in visual arts. Like there, are, it's not painting, it's not sculpture, it's, not, it's just visual arts. Like you're doing whatever it is you're doing within art, which then, I mean, I felt like it almost pushed me to be too conceptual. Like <laughs> I lost a little bit of like a grasp of materials. So, you know, it's this push and pull. <laughs> no, certainly. I mean, my, I don't know, my undergrad experience and my grad experience were really nice in that like they were like two opposite ends of the spectrum. UMass, my program, my sculpture program at the CVPA was very based in material and technique and craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. While like my experience at BU was very conceptual and experimental and like get messy and play with materials and like really find out what your process is. And I really, I really grappled with that when I got to graduate school because uh. I had just come from this place where it was like craftsmanship, craftsmanship like technique. And I really had to unlearn a lot of things. And it took me Mm -hmm. even years after grad school to unlearn it. And honestly, it was, it had a lot to do with just the kids I was teaching Mm -hmm. and just, they don't question some of the choices they make and just watching them continuing to make these choices because these like visual choices, these creative choices, because they felt just inherently right to them. Yeah. It gave me the push to listen to that voice again within me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, no. And in a way, it like it always comes back to it. It's like the artwork feeds the teaching, the teaching feeds the artwork. And I mean, and that's why I, I really like I love being a working artist and a teacher. Yeah. And having that I was going to say feedback, but it's not like you're actually getting like feedback on your work from your kids. But just having that, like, (laughs) (laughs) like having that dialogue all the time, like you're always surrounded by art and thinking about art and how to like talk about it and break it down and like, what are you noticing in this artwork? And sometimes, you know, young people have such a fresh take on it too, that it can be so eye-opening to hear like, what do you, what do they see in the work? 
oh my goodness, all the time. And like they they are constantly just surprising me with these like incredible observations like out of mm-hmm. left field. Oh my gosh, I'm like trying to think of one. So today, for example, in one of my lessons, so we were learning about, you know, the Venezuelan artist, the Latinx artist, Luchita Hurtado, uh-huh. just passed away this past August. And we were looking at some of her paintings from like the 1970s that kind of deal with line and pattern and and the grid and we got to watch a video with her like in her studio mm-hmm. and I was asking the scholars you know what are some things that you observe like what are some things you see on the walls what are some things you're hearing and just some of the observations that they had they were like you know she sees a connection in you know from herself and I'm completely messing up their observation how did they say <laughs> it <laughs> they said it so beautifully and I'm butchering it to death you know they said that her persistence in her work Mm -hmm. comes from her connection to her feelings and nature and which was absolutely what what Hurtado was getting at in the video and just continually pushing yourself to grow and these are all incredible observations about you know making and practice that these 13 year olds 14 year olds are pulling out of this work and then you know we were able to you know have some independent work time and like get started on work and you can see them like you know just jumping right into it and I just (laughs) and it's it's so far removed from what we normally have and like that energy that we have like when we're together Mm -hmm. like in that creative space but it's like if I'm even able to recreate a tenth of that energy that we have in person in this virtual classroom, then I feel like we're going to go, we're getting somewhere. And I think that we're getting there. I've seen some excitement on the screen and I've seen some really beautiful work come out of it so far. So Uh, we're just going to keep chugging along. Yeah. Seeing all those moments are so heartening. You know, you're like, yeah. there's hope. <laughs> we're, you know, we're doing it. You know, there's so much at this time that we can focus on that seems just disheartening. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many needs that our scholars are not getting right now. Social, emotional yeah. needs. We provide school lunches to our scholars so families can come by and still pick up school lunches. So they're, they're able to have school lunches if that is, you know, a resource that they need. Yeah. But like, these are all things that schools normally provide. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're seeing for the first time how much we as a country, as a culture, rely on our schools yeah. to bolster our communities, to like help raise our community of children. And I think that, you know, one of the things that it can it can be really, really easy to think about. There are all of these things that we're not able to do right now. There are all of these things that we're not able to provide. But I just have to remind myself that in those moments where I'm worrying about my scholars and, you know, mm-hmm. if they're eating lunch and if they've gotten a chance to like just get a breath of fresh air today. Yeah. I just think about these conversations. I think about the energy that I see on the screen and the artwork that gets turned in. And I just think, okay, today was a good day and we'll, we're going to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Taking it day by day. Absolutely. Well, along those lines, I'm curious how you kind of fit things in. Like I'm sure now your schedule is completely different than it was when you were teaching in person, but what does a week look like? Like how do you fit in being a working artist, having shows, getting ready for shows (laughs) and teaching (laughs) and parenting and all, you know, all of it. 
You know, when you put it like that, Rebecca, <laughs> how you know, do you do it? <laughs> I, I wish I could say I have a secret formula. I do not. I am very lucky in that I have a partner that is very supportive of my practice and my work, and they themselves are an art educator, so they're mm. doing the same thing. Oh, wow. But I mean, you know, it's just the thing that I push with my scholars about making their art practice be such an important part of who they are. I also have made that an important part of my own practice. Mm -hmm. So my studio practice is almost kind of like my daily ritual to myself. Uh, So it has just become something that just happens every day. I mean, I wake up and have my cup of coffee in the studio before classes start. And Mm -hmm. I'm also teaching out of my art studio right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Uh, And is that, that's like your home studio? It is my home studio. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate in that, you know, a lot of artists had to leave whatever studio space they had because they couldn't access it. But I'm able to kind of just get to my studio and my slippers. So, (laughs) you know, that is kind of where we're at. So Mm -hmm. it's nice in that like I carve out chunks of the day where, you know, right now is studio time, right now is teaching time, Mm -hmm. you know, then there's mom time, then there's partner time, you know, it's, I mean, as, as you well know, there are a lot of spinning plates and (laughs) we just, we just keep them spinning. Yep. Somehow. Sometimes they they start to kind of fall down. (laughs) Yes, they do. And sometimes plates drop and that's okay. Yep. (laughs) At least I have to keep telling myself that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I have to keep like hearing it from others and then trying to tell myself and then hearing it again. (laughs) Oh, right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm not sure if there are any like solid answers. If anybody has figured it out, please please share. (laughs) Let us know. (laughs) Yeah, I do keep hearing kind of what you were talking about that you, you know, really have like dedicated time for each of those things that are important. You know, like the priorities in life are making art, teaching, obviously family. Mm -hmm. So like those are all in the schedule somehow. Yeah. And, you know, and, and with social distancing, with people like with staying home and everything, it it really has allowed Mm -hmm. a lot of the noise to filter out. So it really is now like our day to day is just filled with the things and activities that are deeply important to us. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if you have any sort of tips for art teachers or artists that are kind of just starting out. Advice I would give... Yeah, like advice for your younger self. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it that way. The advice that I would give to... Miss Fraser Rico starting off. You know, I think when I first started teaching, I thought that I had to be a certain type of teacher. I thought that I had to keep who I was separate from who I was as a teacher. Mm. And, you know, I think kids can sniff that out. Kids can sniff out inauthenticity mm-hmm. in a second. Yeah. And I found that I can be me and I can be a teacher and I can build these relationships relationships filled with respect and learning. And I can do it in a way that feels authentic to who I am as a person. That Miss Fraser Rigo and Kate don't necessarily have to be these two separate things. Yeah, And I think that Mm. I 
I would tell myself that it is okay to admit that you have made a mistake. Mm. And it's important to tell your scholars when you do that. Yeah, I think it's important for kids to see adults admit when they're wrong and name how they're going to do better. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of adults have to do right now. And I would push educators to do it in their classroom because the respect that it will build with your scholars when they see that you are a person who is learning and can make mistakes and can grow, they can see that in themselves. Yeah. And if Miss Fraser Rico can make mistakes and grow and learn and admit when she's wrong, then you know what? I, I can too. Yeah, that's huge. And that goes back to the what we you were talking about being a role model as a teacher. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that when I went into teaching, I thought that, you know, respect had to be a thing that you, you know, asked of your scholars, Mm -hmm. a thing that like, and that you got your respect by having that teacher persona. And respect is a thing that you earn and you earn it through your actions and you earn it through your commitments every day. You have to walk the walk with kids. They have to see that you, that you mean what you say. Mm-hmm. and that you'll follow through for them. I mean, that is the advice that I would give Yeah. to my younger self. Yeah. And really, I mean, to anybody getting into teaching is that you can, if you come to your practice and you come to your pedagogy with an open mind towards growth and learning and an open heart mm. and humility, you can build some really awesome relationships with your students. Yes, I think that's wonderful advice. And so I have a few fun, more get to know you questions. Okay, sure. One, very open-ended. What are you curious about right now? What am I curious about right now? You know, I'll tell you two things. I will tell you a thing I am curious about. I know, right? Um, I'll tell you something I'm curious about in my teaching practice. And then I'll tell you something I'm curious about Mm -hmm. in my uh, my own art practice. In my teaching practice, I'm really interested in this idea of like Black Mountain College and this experiential like learning environment and like maker spaces and building that that community of makers. That's something that I, I really have been thinking about and how to grow in my own practice, just to really create that buzz of process and and making and creativity in in the studio space Mm -hmm. and have it be one of feedback and conversation. And then in in my own art practice, I've really been playing with this idea of building out worlds and building out, you know, building this mythology and just finding different media to convey these stories and this narrative through. Mm -hmm. So I've really been getting into, I want to try tufting. I really want to get a tufting done. I would love that too. Right? I mean, oh my goodness. And just making these big, huge, crazy, fluffy, just Uh. tactile wall hangings. So that's, yeah, that is my, that is my new avenue of curiosity as far as my own Mm. practice but so that's the most recent curiosities I have (laughs) yeah and it's funny like your work is so tactile and there's so much texture in there but I was also with the idea of like these worlds thinking you were gonna say like AR or VR or whatever like virtual reality (laughs) going into the digital world (laughs) oh my goodness I mean I have certainly considered like incorporating like video elements Mm. into the work, but it is so not within my wheelhouse. Yeah. I am very much, I am still very analog in a lot of my uh, processes. 
Yeah. My goodness, at one point, I would love to play around with that. And oh my, VR would be oh. unbelievable. But for right now, I'm still kind of stuck in like giant installation land. So that's really like the next big goal is I would love to find a way to really build out a space mm. to create like an art experience. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And then then you need a grant to have somebody come and like film it and put it into VR. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, exactly. Like give, that would be give incredible. That work to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Get the experts. I always tell the kids, find the experts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Another kind of fun question. What is yeah. your, so I've been switching this one up. I was saying, what's your like go-to order at your favorite restaurant? But Ooh. I keep feeling like that's a hard one if people are not able to go to restaurants or, you know, it's also like restaurants are so expensive sometimes. So maybe like, what's your favorite food? Well, so I will say that during this time of quarantining, we have, and like staying home, we have have been getting some takeout and we've been like branching out Ooh. in our takeout over these past few months. So my new go-to is chicken muglai, which is Ooh. a curry mm -hmm. that we get from our local Indian restaurant. And it is unbelievably amazing. I would eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I could. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that is my go-to these days, chicken awesome. muglai. Yeah. We've been talking about Indian. We have not done any takeout, but it's getting to the point where we're like, we just really want some Indian food. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. It just, it got to a point where I just, I couldn't cook anymore. I'm like, I need to get, so we just, you know, we, we throw on the mask, we go get the takeout, bring it home, try to give, you know, a 20, 20, 25% tip. Yeah. <laughs> try to support the local businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And is there anything else that you would want to share? Well, I can tell you about a couple shows that I'm in right now. Oh yeah, that would be would great. That, okay. Yeah. So currently I'm in a I'm in an online group show called Collective Disquiet mm -hmm. that was put on by the Musa Collective, which is a group collective uh, out of Boston. It was yeah. actually founded by a few friends that I went to graduate school with. So I was invited to take part in that. Awesome. And um, yeah, and that was I was really, really honored to be included. So that's up on the website, which I, I can, you know, share all the information for that. Yeah. And I also have a solo show right now up at at the Winston Gallery at the Kilburn Mills in uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Awesome. And it's called The Void Grows. So it's kind of like a continuation of the Void series. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and I'll definitely link to those. And then also, what are your, like, where can listeners connect with you online? Oh, absolutely. So I have my website, which is katefraserrigo.com. Mm -hmm. And I also am on Instagram um, under Kate Fraser Rigo, which is private because of my students or my uh, scholars. So. Yeah. <laughs> so you might have to send me an invite, but you know. <laughs> I am on Instagram. Awesome. And is there anybody that you would want to give like a thank you or a shout out to? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> too many. Uh, too many people to name, but they know who they are and they know that I adore them. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kate. This was really just such a good conversation. Thank you so much. This has been a really, really wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. 
As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.